Hello, welcome to episode 33 of Risk and Reward, the podcast from Winning Edge Investments that used to be about golf betting, but with the almost surreal change in circumstances around the world in the last week or so, we're dropping the petting portion for the next eight weeks at least, it seems, and becoming just a golf podcast. We'll get to some homework in a moment, some stuff to do with Winning Edge, but before that, let me bring in my co-host and our expert tipster under other circumstances, John Evans, J.E., I've never seen anything like what we're seeing with this coronavirus. I'm sure you haven't either. Almost no area of life untouched, including golf. You are desperately trying to get back to New Zealand, and even that seems not to be a simple process at the moment. This is crazy, isn't it? Well, it is certainly um, the most uh, having the most impact of any uh, activity in my life, uh, which, as you know, has gone on for at least 120 years. <laughs> Surely might, the war was quite close to this, wasn't it, Jay? Well, well, both of them, I would have thought. Well, I would have thought if you were in <laughs> if you were in London during the Blitz, this would be pretty much a similar sort of experience. But it's what's rather uh, intriguing is uh, all of my friends um, have just called me, and my son have just called me and said, "Look, you need to get home tomorrow because the government of New Zealand is going to shut it down." Um, and I've checked on the website and the government is saying, well, wait a minute, that's a rumour. Uh, the cost of airfares from Sydney to New Zealand have tripled uh, for tomorrow and Saturday morning and I'm booked to go on Monday morning and prices haven't changed and they're still selling tickets. Now, the question is, of course, is uh, is talk that about a... Ri- talk about risk and reward, J.E. <laughs> You're being well, faced with the ultimate question you, right here. I'm playing. I'm, uh, the question is, am I prepared to spend, a th- to give a thousand bucks to Air New Zealand uh, now and, and be moderately certain I'll get there? Or do I want to spend six months more in Australia? Well, the reality is I don't want to spend six months more in Australia. I've been here for two months now. There are people at the door knocking to try to get me to go now. But, um, right, it's, look, it is, it's, it's, it is clearly a huge health risk for uh, for older people with um, respiratory problems. And younger uh, people are now saying too, Jay. Well, it, well and, uh, not only that, but here's the real problem: is is that the young and the and and, and particularly children at schools can can carry this virus to their grandfather, and they've got no problem. They haven't even got a cough or a sniffle. Um, and and the end result is that sort of. Uh, one to five percent of the people who get infected die, which is a, which they're talking about. They're talking about sacrificing ten or fifteen million people in Europe. Um, none of us want to be part of that uh, sacrificial group. Uh, I don't actually remember anybody running towards the funeral pyres in India uh, when they used to burn their wives. Uh, so I think we've got to be realistic. It's a major disruption to to life, to business, to the economic future of. Uh, every country um and what it goes to show is is that if you wish to cause major mayhem you don't have to drop a nuclear bomb all you got to do is invent a virus that hasn't got a solution and make sure it gets out to the people you want to get rid of so you might be making that sound a little simpler than it is but that's exactly what biological and germ warfare is and you're right uh it's rarely the things that destroy the physical environment that cause the most mayhem I think I saw a fabulous uh, gif on Twitter the other day, which was in, you know, back in the in the forties in London. They asked our parents to hunker down in bunkers and ration food. They're asking us to stay inside and sit down. That's the truth of what we're being asked. And look at what it's done to the world. The world is such a different place now. It's so interconnected that something like this can cause disruption on a scale. If it was in one country or one area, the world's faced these sorts of things before, and you go through it. I think the thing about this that's 
starting to really become the reality, the length of time that we're likely looking at this sort of disruption for is much, much, much longer than the country. It's a bit like when it snows in London and they're just not prepared for it because they don't have snow in London often. And so the disruption is enormous. Uh, it's a little bit like that. We're, we're not caught unawares I and mean, you don't want to prepare for this sort of thing. You know, you can't imagine this sort of thing being in anybody's planning. They're talking perhaps 12 to 18 months. Have you ever been to London in the winter? I've not been to London in the winter. Well, it snows in London in the winter every day. I don't know what you're going on about. I, I was in, uh, I can remember going to the PGA golf show in Orlando, which everybody tells me is so heavy snow, like paradise. New York and those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. They don't get that in London. No, well, they don't. But everybody's talking about what a paradise um, Florida is, and Orlando particularly in the, I was in Florida on the, I think it was the, 21st of 22nd of January and there was 11 degrees of hoar frost so maybe uh, it's you Jay sorry maybe you're the issue well I was there watching the <laughs> challenger T- seriously I went to, to I was sitting in a BP petrol station with a couple of uh, lunatics from Christchurch watching the challenger we couldn't we thought we could drive straight into Cape Canaveral and get a really bird's eye view but we found out that <laughs> there were half the national guard was there shooting people like us trying to get in so we finished up on a hill watching this thing and we see the two twin trails head off and next thing I said to the blokes, I said, I don't think it's supposed to do that. That doesn't look right. Well, the pool, a pool settled over America. There were people crying everywhere and, I, and it was a pretty horrific affair. But look, we're, this is far and away the largest disruption of our lives uh, and it might be since... The plague of 1918. Possibly the flu of 1918. The the Spanish flu, which brings me to a favourite topic of mine. We've got some other things to get to first. I know you've got some views. I'm wound up about this, Rod. Let's just take care of business first. Uh, Before we get into the golf discussion, quick hat tip to Winning Edge Investments, who continue to be Australia's leading purveyors of racing sports tips and educational newsletters. Racing for the moment is one of the few sports that is continuing with minimal disruption. So if you're into racing and you're not subscribing to at least one of Winning Edge's newsletters, the truth is you are doing it all wrong. Head over to winningedgeinvestments.com, check out the range of products they have on offer. Don't forget they do have regular special promotions, including, well this one's not a special one, this is a constant, the Profit Guarantee. Any 12 or three, 3 or 12 month subscription comes with a Profit Guarantee. Not too many in that business are prepared to offer that, JE, so that is confident. Uh, let's get back to the golf. You've got your hand up over there. I know you've got an idea to turn the coronavirus into a positive for the game. Let's hear it. What have you got? Well, right, I, I got my hand up because I used to, when I was at school, I used to put my hand up and the bloody teacher used to always uh, ignore me, as you do. Well, after the first time, they know what's coming. So, Well, <laughs> I just wanted to point out when you were going along with the, the discussions about winning edge investments that yesterday, uh, our erstwhile uh, tipster uh, tipped the $29 winner uh, which covers quite a bit of uh, your subscription, trust me, $29. Uh, and uh, the horse sat three wide all the way at $29, got pratted on the turn and won by two lengths. So anybody who isn't taking advantage of the Winning Edge Investments uh, unbelievable um, group of tipsters who, who all are so confident of their abilities that they give you a money-back guarantee... So for your investment in any one of their subscriptions, and ideally all of them, you are guaranteed a profit. Um, I know that um, places like Tom Waterhouse and uh, and other uh, erstwhile tipsters, they'll promise you the world, 
uh, but you have to pay, and it's bad luck if they make a, a mistake or a lapse of judgment, you don't get your money back. Uh, this service, Winning Edge Investments, is so confident and can prove over the last five to ten years that all of their tipsters, including yours truly, are honestly successful so that they can give you your money back. So if you're a person who likes to bet on a fly going up a wall or uh, the fact that Joe Biden might win the presidency or any other such uh, thing, this is the place to do it. And as I said yesterday... $29 $29 winner, three wide all the way, pratted on the corner and still won. They're coming up with some phenomenal tips. Uh, get on right now. $29 is an outrage in horse racing, isn't it? Now, before we come to your grand plan to to, to turn the coronavirus, the coronavirus to golf's advantage, we've also got to say about the risk and reward podcast, no firm decision being made yet, but of course, professional golf is essentially cancelled for the next eight weeks, two months makes it awkward to do a golf betting podcast when the betting is on those professional tours. We haven't made a final decision, but it's it's likely we will take a bit of a break uh, at this stage. But we'll definitely, we'll confirm that before next week. And if that is the case, we'll release a short episode to let those rusted on listeners know about that. And there are a few rusted on listeners, but uh, there's no point us just adding another golf podcast to the podcast world. Because let's be completely honest, Jay, there's enough of them and I do three of them myself. So. Well, the word on the street... Uh, which which generally can't be um, taken a great deal of notice of, but the word on the street is that you're sick and tired of talking to me, and that uh, listening to you, I'm tired of, but I don't mind talking to you. <laughs> you know, well, you, well, you and you are noted for that, but but um, but yes, and uh, I'll be I'll be uh, on my own uh, isolation, uh, living on rice and uh, cuttings from the garden, uh, mainly grass, but uh, you know, there's the odd stalk of. Um, of barley and things like that, the mushrooms, the cockles out the front, the views of the cruise ships not going by, uh, are all something that I've got to look forward to. And and having a weekly rant with you, Rod, would would be a pleasure. I must we'll say, we just won't record it, Je. No, well, we'll do that. But the problem, of course, is is that we is is that we can't tip on the Masters because we there, there there is an interesting uh, corollary to this. The Masters has been cancelled in April. Um. And nobody has made an announcement about whether or not they think it might be held. But uh, but one of the uh, Marina Alex, one of the uh, Solheim Cup performers for America, made a booking in Augusta, uh, perhaps for a practice round or some other reason to go down there in October. And all of a sudden, she gets a note back that her her uh, booking has been cancelled. So she rings up a few other B and Bs in Augusta, and she finds out they're all booked out in October. So. So the rumour, the word on the street is, is that the Masters uh, may be aiming and, and have uh, gone and booked every joint in the place so they can make a quid um, down in Augusta in October. So let's assume that we we could have eight weeks tipping on the Masters, right? And and uh, we could probably, over that period, get the whole 82 players and therefore be proven to be a genius again. You'll have convinced you. Here's a fantastic story on that. You would have known Bill Morty. Uh, Bill Morty, the... Boxing promoter and yeah. mirror journal. His son Craig, I worked with. He was a couple of years older. Than me. I worked with him at uh, at News Limited for a number of years. When he was a youngster, a real young lad, I think Bill was Bill a bookmaker for a while. Yeah, I think he was a pretty good bookmaker too in Sydney at the rails. Yeah, so I used to take Craig down to the races with him when he was about eight years old. And Craig would stand at the gate and sell the form guide to punters as they came in. And he'd start with the first bloke, he'd tip him race one number one, and the second bloke would get race one number two. By the time he'd sold all the form guides, he'd tipped every winner on the day. And of course, he'd just stand at the gate, and as they all came out, they'd all give him a couple of quid. Thanks well, for the tip. Well, no, no. What they would do is 
If there were 14 horses in every race, one-fourteenth of the population would give him a tip. It was a very, very smart it's a, plan. It's exactly. It's a guaranteed income, so uh, almost even even less risk than the bookies themselves, who are very occasional. There used to be blokes called touts who, 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 who used to go around the race course. I mean, if we get onto racing, I want to tell you a story. that You're going to love this. Greyhounds used to be run at White City, in uh, in North Melbourne, uh, and the and the track was alongside the Maribyrnong River. Is, that, is the tennis complex up there, White City? No, that's White, no, White City's in another city. Oh. No, the, 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 but anyway, this is this is this was this was the White City race course in North Melbourne or near North Melbourne on, alongside the Maribyrnong River. That's the key. So uh, the the stewards uh, couldn't help noticing that every now and then a favourite. A dollar ten, a dollar twenty out of the red box would miss the kick, and of course, if you miss the kick in a greyhound race, you get squashed and you can't win. You see, so they couldn't figure it out. But then they decided that they would uh, that, that there was probably a lot of dog uh, turds underneath the the boxes, so they pulled the boxes out to clean the the, the wooden floors and underneath uh, what, during a rest period, and they found this hole leading out from box one. And they and they followed. The, they sent a dog down, and the dog came swimming up out of the Maribyrnong River. <laughs> so what was happening was there'd be a bloke who'd row his boat down, uh, and he'd park the boat about twenty yards away, and he'd get in a frogman suit, and he'd swim underwater, and he'd come up underneath the boxes with the races on a Monday Monday night, and it, and whenever the favourite was in the red box, sort of every third race, because uh, most of the favourites come out of the red box, the the dog he'd be grabbing the dog's hind leg, the dog would miss the kick, and and the bookies would get all the money, so. <laughs> So you can understand that uh, <laughs> that the that the business of gambling has had some it's some check, wonderful stories. History, yes, a check of history. It would have to be. Uh, it would have to be said that not much of that stuff goes on anymore these days. I'm sure. Back to the golf, Jay. Uh, professional golf we know is off. Recreational golf isn't. Although we do know things are moving in that department. Various clubs have decided to close clubhouses or enforce restrictions at clubhouses. I don't haven't yet heard of a course in Australia that's closed the course itself. For the playing of the game, it has happened in parts of the US that we know of. Uh, there's a real potential risk here for the golf industry. Professional golf is actually, whilst it's a big money section of the industry, it's only a very small part of the industry, and there's lots and lots and lots of segments of industry that stand to lose if golf uh, starts to go backwards. So I know you had some thoughts on that, some quite serious thoughts about what the golf industry might do looking ahead for what quite, could be quite a long-term issue. Well, right. I, you know, we're all we're all in, vitally interested in this uh, scenario and and um, potential advantages, perhaps of it. You know, it's always good to try to find some kind of uh, hope and light at the end of the tunnel. And I was reading uh, some interesting information where in 1918, uh, at the end of World War One, they were they were so. Um, there were so many people who were ill from war wounds and then also they were catching influenza in the hospitals that they had to put a lot of the people outside in in tents and uh and when the uh when there were sunny days in England which is not a common occurrence they would open up the tents and they found out that the respiratory problems went away and in actual fact doctors determined that the two things that killed influenza viruses were sunlight and vitamin D. And that was the primary method of resolution of respiratory problems from 1918 
until the Second World War in 1940 when anti- uh, antibodies and, um, uh, and, and antibiotics va- various, and various um, uh, medical, treatments. medical treatments like um, uh, were, were intru- introduced and the concept of sunlight and vitamin D as a cure for influences dropped away uh, from doctors' methods of treatment. And if you think, you go right back to perhaps 50 years before when people in England were um, considered to have respiratory problems, they used to send them to India and Australia where the temperatures were higher and they were less likely to have problems. So so this method was a, uh, a definite improvement and solution for people with respiratory problems. So my concept is this. There's a lot of golf courses in Australia, uh, some of them in the warmer climates where it would be certainly advantageous, but I think also in the cool temperate climates like uh, Sydney and Melbourne in the winter. Probably ideally at public golf courses, but I think that private golf courses should also consider this method Sunlight and vitamin D. We've got 150 acres of natural park with beautiful surroundings, birds, trees, lovely places to walk and no one there. And what we should be doing is we should be, we should be going on the front foot and golf course owners and golf course managers in particular should be saying, we have a solution to the coronavirus a medically proven solution of 40 years, no antibiotics, no treatment, sunlight and vitamin D. And we open up our golf courses, not when they're at their peak. Most golf courses, you can shoot a gun down them on, uh, in the afternoons from 1.30. The players go out in the morning, particularly in the warmer climates. You open the golf course to anybody. Come with one club, come with a bag of clubs, Come on your own. Come in a group. If you're in a group, you don't touch anybody. You keep with it. You keep away from them. They hit off. You're at the back of the tee. You wander down. You find your ball. You're not going to be near the other bloke anyway. You, 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 <laughs> if you and I were playing, Rod, we, we wouldn't talk to each other except on the tee and the green anyway. Mm-hmm. So you don't. So that's a wonderful thing. So all of a sudden, and here's what the advantages of it are for the golf industry. The golf courses are because of Agenda 21 and other factors, the pariahs of modern life. People think they they cost too much, they utilise too much land for total usage. So what you're doing is you're going positively and saying to the people of Sydney or the people of Melbourne or the people of, of, of Brisbane, particularly with the loss of Victoria Park, you're going along to them and saying, look, not only are these golf courses a uh, requirement for the members... Here they are demonstrating their ability to be a wonderful solution for this pandemic. And we are prepared to open up our services of the golf course to the public for free. Now, we don't close, the clubhouse is not open. We're not, if we might put jugs of water out on the tables outside for you, and they're free. And we might have a golf pro wandering around. And he's saying to the people who clearly can't do it because they're aiming in the wrong direction, they've got a dud grip, they're helping them out. What are they doing? They're increasing their customer base 
for the future to come. Right, not only that, but they're out there not appearing to be a sergeant or a policeman, but they are out there in a role of saying, well, excuse me, sir, I don't want you crapping in the bunker and I don't want you going over there and digging up these dirty great big holes without filling them up, but also, why don't you move your right hand over a bit? So what you're doing is you're presenting a philosophy to the, to the world and particularly to Agenda 21, that not only are golf courses important to the people who are paying for them and the 10% of population who play golf, but they're actually a wonderful opportunity for the golf industry to become a part of mainstream society. This is what happens when there's no betting, folks. He starts introducing Agenda 21, and I can tell you there's some discussions to be had there. Bones of a good idea. I think that you touch on a bunch of stuff there, uh, the coronavirus. First things first. That's not medical advice for anybody listening. Jay's, Jay's position that sunshine and vitamin D cures the coronavirus is not uh, not medically tested at this point and proven. However, I think the point that you're making is a broader one and perhaps the coronavirus sharpens it. And it's one that we talk about a lot of the other golf podcasts I do, which is the image of golf is to its detriment among the non-golf population. It's seen as a rich person's pursuit that takes up enormous amounts of space uh, for the use of just a few Golf, regardless of the coronavirus, needs to learn to share, which is partly what you're proposing. And one of golf's biggest problems is golfers themselves, who've grown up in a culture where we don't share the golf space, the public golf spaces I'm talking about, talking about Royal Melbourne or Lake Carinup, or those places are free to share their space if they want to. But public golf courses need to be mixed-use facilities, not just golf. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually a positive. And I think golfers, when we finally find a council with the courage to do a golf course properly or to transform an existing golf facility properly, as we've seen at Winter Park in Florida and a few other examples from America, the first council that does it will be lauded as the heroes because others will see the benefits of it beyond just golf and to the community. Because it is true. Golf can't expect to keep up taking, taking up the amount of space that it does for just the purpose of golf. Well, Rod, that's pushing a barrow which um, which I know you and Jeff Shackelford and uh, and Michael Clayton and other uh, people you know far smarter than I have have, have uh, pushed through over a period of the last year eighteen months. My philosophy is slightly different. Certainly, those public golf courses are in a position where they can do that. the The councils with a stroke of the pen, could introduce a situation where all those people uh, are allowed on, uh, and they probably are allowed to do that now. I mean, if you were to go to North North Shore or North Ridge or whatever it's called, or uh, Warringah or those public golf courses, I'm sure you can walk on there now and, and pull out a three-iron when no one's looking, like the old Sunday golf used to be in, at, at St Andrews when golf was bad, but they used to have a shooting stick, which they walked around and had a golf club head on the end at the end of it. So I'm sure that's all true. That's not my philosophy. I think this is a golden opportunity for the private golf clubs, and I wouldn't include necessarily Royal Sydney uh, or the Australian in this, but certainly places like um, Second Tier. Is that what you said? Well, no. Well, no. Well, look, 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 look. Trying to convince the ultra conservative Royal Sydney members, not lovely as they are, and my surgeon was a was a lovely bloke from Royal <laughs> Sydney, so I don't want to bag. I'm not bagging him or any of their members. I think I've met a lot of them. They're nice people, but. They're going to be the followers, not the leaders. The leaders, in my view, are Mona Vale 
Um, suburban public su- suburban city private, golf city private golf courses. Concord may be probably less likely to start the project, but because they're very conservative. But perhaps the Long Reefs, um, the the Mona Vales, the the Asquith, the you know Avondale, Gosford, all all these golf courses, and more particularly Newcastle, Stockton, um, uh, those sort of courses, who can lead the way and. There'll be teething problems. There always are. There's going to be more divots, right? We expect that. There's going to be lunatics out there. There'll be people who come out dressed in, in, in ragged clothing. Okay, well, we get all that. And, and maybe you can refine that to a degree. But the point about it is the benefits to the golf industry and to the uh, – are so many. One – you're going to make these golf courses places that people can now, will now say we cannot afford to lose these places who are prepared to share their their private facilities, not their public facilities, prepared to share their private facilities for the good of the people, right? And and you may say that my that Dr Evans doesn't know a thing about it, but for 40 years it was the method of curing influenza and there wasn't after the Spanish... It's the word, it's the word cure that I'm... I'm a little sceptical about no, that. No, no, well, you are, but you are because it's... It, 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 but well, let me tell you, I will tell you one thing. Antibiotics don't cure anything. All they do is fix your symptoms. They do not cure the disease. You go through a course of antibiotics, you feel terrific, and then when the antibiotics stop, the bloody disease comes back, right? And I've had them. I was in hospital for a week, got rid of all my issues, and then when they stopped doing them, they all came back again. So the reality is this. Sunlight might be the answer, certainly the methods we've used subsequently aren't. That's why we've got a million people all over the world stuffing around with this thing. But but, for our power needs. No, but coming back to this, my <laughs> the other philosophy the other philosophy that I've got is this is is we don't need clubhouses for golf, right? The original golf courses are minister of the game, aren't they? Let's be completely honest. They're, 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 they're an add on, right? What we do need is we need a golf pro who's prepared to go out and to help the people on the golf course Right, and and people used to wonder at me. I, I can remember I, I read recently where Dennis Pugh uh, said that you don't give away free advice. Well, I can tell him I gave away free advice at uh, Chisholm Links for ten years, and I was doing three and a half million dollars in the pro shop because I gave free advice. So to me, the concept of a golf pro helping people is the concept of creating a business. So. The golf pro goes out and he helps the people out on the golf course and all of a sudden those people are friends for life. And so he's now got a whole brand new clientele, a new base for his business. It makes sense for everybody. That's it, actually not about golf, is it? That's about how you run a business and the personal relationships that, that solid businesses are actually built on. My dad had a tyre business that was no different. A little bit of free advice. Check Mrs. Jones's tyres when she pulls up out the front. Make sure that the pressure's okay. And where does she go every time something happens to the car? She comes straight to that workshop because she knows you and she trusts you. It's the golden. It's the golden rule of business. And and, and I can remember Denny, Denny uh, my son, saying to me, "Dad, he said I've paid four thousand dollars a day to go to listen to this guru, and and the, the other bloke can't make it. Yeah, will you come along? And for the whole day, for eight hours, this bloke preached this message. He said." You've got to give away 75% of your services. And if you give away 75%, you'll receive in kind many times over. What it means is you can generally charge almost what you like for the remaining 25% because what you've built is a relationship and not a transaction. Exactly. So what we're talking about... There's a marketing guff about that, but the truth is 
if I go if I come to your shop because I like you and I need a golf club, yep, then that's of some value to you. If I go and buy it off the internet and then come and complain to you about it, then that hasn't helped anybody. Well, take a take this advantage of take this situation is the golf course has to give the the the, the semi private the private golf course gives. A person turns up at the front door, they might never have played golf before or they might have played when they were a kid and they wander out on the golf course, they hit a couple of shots, they flush one, they carry the bunker and it goes on the green and it stops and they think to themselves, why did I ever give this game away? So in other words, you've got this, this, it is just an unbelievable opportunity to win the battle for mines and to create new potential business in the six months or year or 18 months it takes us to recover from this, and we will recover. There might not be quite as many of us as there was previously, but all those ones who took advantage of your situation and were cured by sunlight and vitamin D <laughs> will be coming back and saying, gee, I remember that smart bloke, not that funny bloke on the podcast, <laughs> but the smart bloke on the podcast who suggested that I would be cured by wandering around the Manly Golf Club and I think he's right. Is so, that, Is that a fair swap, coronavirus, for the golf disease? Because <laughs> you'll have the golf disease with you for the rest of your life. There's no escape. Not going to kill you. No, it probably won't kill you. You're right. All right, let's wrap it up there. Uh, as I said, we'll make a, an announcement next week on whether or not we'll be uh, – we might go to a fortnightly or something instead, but we'll have a bit of a chat about golf. But if this is the quality of the content we're going to get, J.E., I think we'll probably see people back when, when the golf comes back. Just on the, uh, the Masters thing, by the way, there are a lot of rumours circulating and, and that story about the hotel being booked out and all those sorts of things is not uh, at all uncommon. There is a, there is a, a thought in the world that what, what, what behind the scenes the game's power brokers might be trying to do is organise to have a run at the end of the year where most of the big tournaments will be played. So you would have the FedEx Cup playoffs, the Ryder Cup and all four majors played over a September-October period uh, to try to make sure that 2020 is not just like the war years blank where the tournaments weren't played and there was no results. So that, that's the thinking with a lot of that and those bookings of rooms <laughs> around Augusta in October have absolutely been at the forefront of giving those rumours possibly more legs than they should have but that's certainly been a part of the thinking that there might be a, a six or seven week period at that end of the year when it's the autumn in America and you can still play golf at most of these places. They won't look at their best. Augusta won't look in October like it does in April but that you can play the tournament and somebody can have a chance to win a green jacket so that we don't have an asterisk next to 2020 for the majors. That Because at this stage, the reality is it looks like none of them are going to go ahead. There's no US Open qualifying. That's already been cancelled, so you've got a problem with what you do with the field at the US Open already. The All of the issues about the ongoing year-long race for the FedEx Cup, the European Tour has similar issues with the race to Dubai. Uh, all of those players will want to play uh, at some point, and they'll accept something that's less than ideal, I imagine. At the end of the year, and of course, what we haven't talked about, Jay, and this, we know this will definitely happen. At least one or two of the world's top players will be badly hurt by a break of this length with no competitive golf. We don't know which ones they'll be, but you can't take thoroughbreds like these guys, take them out of competition for the best part of anywhere between three and six months and expect them to perform at their best when they come back. So it's going to be a whole different golf world when it does restart. There's lots of stuff to play out yet. Hopefully. It's the Tiger's advantage, in actual fact. Well, he he's, used to, he's used to first, you know, first up after a spell. He does. He's, he's trained his whole sort of career around that idea, and he's one I don't think he lacks any confidence in his physical ability to, to find it in a couple of days of practice ready, ready enough to go and play 
in the biggest events. His problem will be that he won't be able to play four or five tough big events in a row. But but you come back to this is an interesting concept that you put up there because the the AFL are considering playing six matches in fourteen days. So um, so obviously every game, every code, every every sport are trying to find ways to concertina in their in in, in their. Um, their major events. Partly because, Jay, it's no longer just sport and entertainment. It is big, big, big business. I mean, if you think about cancelling eight US PGA Tour events, the average spend at each of those events by the major sponsors... It's $500 million. It's $15 million Yeah, yeah well, it's $500 million because you've got all the logistics exactly and you've right. got all the hotel costs, but the benefits for every player's... 144 players, they're all spending ten grand. So... So the, uh, the ramifications are enormous, and you can understand yeah. why. Not just for history's sake, but you can also understand why bodies like the AFL and uh, the NRL—they too are huge businesses. And weeks off mean money lost. It doesn't matter how you cut it and how you insure against it. it doesn't matter what happens. Weeks that the game can't be played are weeks that cost lots and lots and lots of different people money. Not just big players, but smaller players. In the well, market. it's interesting. The NRL's basically admitted that they they can't survive a year without. Uh, uh, events without the year um, out of business is a year is at it's the end of the business it's the end of the business which yes. is kind of what a lot of small businesses are facing and we're already facing here in Australia particularly in parts of New South Wales the south coast where those fires rip through there there'll be clubs down there Jay that just golf clubs that are not going to survive this second hit they may have may have dragged themselves out of the ashes of the bushfires but this on top of it if people aren't playing golf um, then you'd the product that you're selling is yeah. Well, I remember the year that when when the Queen made her speech. I don't often listen to the Queen, but however, she did. She did make one remark, calling it her year, Annis Horribilis. Horribilis, yeah. You well, I want to tell you, she that was because her, she her, went early. Two of her kids got <laughs> caught bonking outside That's the right. square. But the, so here's 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 a situation where you've got to say that those South Coast and parts of Victoria who had firstly major bushfires. Decimating their houses, their 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 businesses, and their economies, followed by floods, uh, which uh, was a double whammy. And now they've got this terrible closing down of their businesses. You know, if you feel sorry for anybody, you've got to feel sorry for those people on the south coast of New South Wales, which is a beautiful part of the world, and and fantastic, I love it. I love it. Fantastic golf, Jay. And I've been trying to tell people. I went down there and did a series of stories for Golf New South Wales, and went to a lot of the clubs. Fantastic golf facilities. Wonderful place to have a golf holiday. They're not trying to sell you anything that you don't want to buy. And they need what they needed was for people to go there in the wake of those fires and just play golf. Which, let's be honest, if you can go and play golf somewhere and it helps someone, that's a win-win. Well, this takes that off the table in a lot of ways. People aren't going to travel in groups down there and have a boys' weekend away or a girls' weekend away or a, a week of golf where they go and visit three or four clubs. Aside from anything else, even if they came out tomorrow and said it's perfectly safe to do, an awful lot of people have been rattled by what's happened and are self-isolating and doing all of those things just out of concern. They don't want to catch the virus. They don't want to spread the virus. And so regardless of... Yeah, there's no quick recovery from this. If you said tomorrow everything's fine, people aren't going to go back to normal tomorrow. The partial solution for for Naruma <laughs> and Boomagui and uh, Tathra, those places, the partial solution, open up your golf course to the uh, general public. You're going to cure the disease in your area and you're going to enlighten everybody as to the wonderful facilities that you've got for when things recover.
Just for legal reasons, I will repeat, that's not medical advice, people. That's just what JE shouldn't be taken as such. It's just what JE happens to think. Jay, great to chat to you. Uh, plenty of stuff to chew on there from what you've given us to think about. Uh, we'll certainly catch up in the next few weeks, and hopefully we'll be back with the listeners sooner than later here on Risk and Reward. Thanks, Rod. And to the listeners out there, I've got to say this is, look, um, we're all in the same boat. We're paddling uh, with a hole in the boat and uh, no paddle. Uh, as they say, we're up Ship Creek, but we're doing the best we can. Good luck. Good luck indeed, and that's a good, strong message to finish on. That's Risk and Reward, Episode 33. We'll be back to do it all again at some point with Episode 34 of Risk and Reward. Risk and Reward.